Hey guys, thank you for tuning into the Sissy Squad through Ashisha. We are your hosts for the day. I'm Srishti and I'm Samiksha. This podcast endeavors to bring you in touch with different people and start difficult conversations. We hope you find your familiar reflection here. You cannot protect the environment unless you empower people, you inform them and you help them understand that these resources are their own, that they must protect them. This powerful quote by Professor Vangari Mathai really sets the mood of this podcast and we cannot wait to delve deeper into this topic. Yes, Shrishti. We are very happy and extremely proud to welcome to our show, Ms. Neha Shahi, a hero for us all, paving the way for a better environment for the future. Currently a PhD student at Ashoka Trust for Research in Ecology and Environment, Bangalore, studying conservation science and sustainability. She has been described as doing academic heavy powerlifting with a good dose of getting your hands dirty for positive climate action. Today, she is getting hands-on experience by working on and studying the impact of waste on the climate while being affiliated with the United Nations Environments Programs Plastic Tide Turner program and also being one of the 17 chosen for the UN's Be the Change program. We once again welcome you to our podcast, ma'am. Without further ado, let's get the conversation rolling. What was it that attracted you towards ecology or studying about the environment in particular? Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I think like living near forests and mountains as a child in Assam and Meghalaya, I had the privilege to see nature for what it was, you know, and it instills a sense of responsibility in one that you'd like to do something about it being degraded or seeing the gradual destruction over time. So I think that instilled a sense of environmentalism per se. Uh, And then when it came to choosing a subject for studies, it was not a very hard decision to go towards natural sciences and environmental sciences. So yeah, I think the interdisciplinarity of the subject and the passion you have by seeing all these landscapes is what would have motivated me. Thank you, ma'am. That's really inspiring. As a child who grew up in JNK, I can really relate to your activism. Um, I think this has a lot to do with your journey in particular, ma'am. Teenagers or even adults often talk about preserving our environment and our surroundings in theory, but it is definitely scarce to see everyone stand up for their beliefs in real life. So how do you think we can encourage this shift from having theoretical knowledge about the environment to putting that knowledge to good use practically in the real world? Yeah, when it comes to practicality, it's a tricky business, you know, because I feel action, it stems from an empathy towards nature. And for me, balancing science and action has always been a priority in all the projects I've done. And even with plastic tide turners, the initial stages was actually identifying the community members and the stakeholders and taking the logic behind plastic and its single use and different kinds and its degradation and taking this information ahead and explaining it to them how it's impacting day-to-day environment and how it's it's everyday use thing. And this kind of a thing was very tricky. And... I aspire to actually keep working towards like bringing a balance in science and communication 
because it's more inclusive that way and in the future years to come if science is not more inclusive of people it might not sustain just on the basis of data so when looking at scientific analysis we have to look at anthropology we have to look at public engagement and you know speak their language walk with them teach them what is happening understand what they know because they hold a lot of scientific knowledge which might be just disguised in a layman term but they know a lot of things about the landscape because it's their land they are living there so to actually gauge attention of people we need science and communication and a balance between the two so ma'am you just laid a lot of emphasis on scientific analysis and data in helping the climate change reversing the effects of climate change you are currently a phd student studying conservation science and sustainability has there been something that you suggest which was very interesting but not a very well known fact among the general populace mm, i think i am a huge nerd for clouds i'd say uh, i was pretty young when i came across the fact that clouds have names and i, I get really emotional when i talk about clouds i really like to you know observe them the patterns they have the kind of structures they make and all these things because you know badal zaruri hai and uh, i don't know but reading about clouds is something that fascinates me but when it comes to general public when you tell them about such facts you know they won't believe you at first and then you have to explain them how the cloud and the name and the structure is all linked and then they start to see it and then they like send you photo they like see this is that cloud right and that really opens up doors it opens up imaginative thinking when people are new about a new fact they start thinking about it a lot like when i started working on plastics very few people were talking about single use plastics everyone was just concerned about how plastic is everywhere but how different it is from each other was something they did not know so i think it science helps clear up a lot of myths you know and when people start coming across these everyday facts and then they're like oh it's amazing and they start telling like proper facts without misinformation to each other on a each day basis it's amazing to see and now also while doing my studies i'm coming across like new stories new work every day i just now read somewhere that snails can actually be used to predict climate change and i was fascinated by that fact that how that's done and how it can be done so yeah people trying to use all the scientific facts into you know everyday like gk and all these things is really fascinating to me that is very interesting ma'am actually i i i'm also very interested in like looking at clouds and everything so as someone who does not have a lot of lot of knowledge about science it would be i mean great to incorporate facts like that in yeah. real life so you mentioned uh, the single use plastic and we we heard that you were successful in securing a ban on single use plastic in your campus so congratulations for that and how did that experience change you i'm sure it must have been empowering to know that uh, what a huge impact you can make by applying your knowledge on the subject so was this the, the first major movement that you had organized in your journey with ecology and the environment uh before single use plastics i was actually working a lot on water quality soil quality and you know microbes also and how the smell after the rain it's created by microbes and not the soil itself and all these kind of things uh when i started working on the plastic tide turners campaign the phase 1 was an immense success all because of the support and encouragement i got from the university and center for environment education and 
it started out with just 10 students who wanted to take a survey on plastics and then slowly and steadily it you know the ball got rolling and there were 90 people suddenly joining for the survey all throughout the districts and they i just gave them a sheet i told them to go about in the city ask people their perception on plastic nothing else don't like force them to understand what plastic is don't force answer out of them because that's not the right kind of way to get data uh, so they went and i just told them just meet people uh, my beautiful team they went around asking not only vegetable vendors they asked traffic policemen they went to nearby municipality they got people from there they also for some reason found a man who had just come for having a juice who was an mla they found everyone they literally went around the city looking for stakeholders and we got a beautiful data set wherein 73% people were you know in agreement of the fact that plastic should be used smartly because an entire ban on a product that is so widespread is dangerous not only for the environmental problems of it but also it's creating a lot of livelihoods the companies that are creating plastics are creating livelihoods so what alternative will they have so all these things were done and armed with all the perception studies and the zest to take you know concrete action and management we ensured that the university at least has a framework for the canteen to ban plastics on campus and it changed to steel cutlery and bamboo sticks and all those things and yeah and we reached a larger audience not just because we use social media because all these 90 people having their own social media platforms their own level of you know engagement we not just use social media but also like techniques such as radio and newspaper because there are different languages and people come from different walks of life not everyone is on instagram you have to reach out to auto wallas who are listening to radio all day long you have to keep reminding them that, hey please plastic is bad huh? uh, all these things so yeah an alternate single use plastic was suggested and a beautiful team beautiful encouragement was provided which is how it became a successful and a positive journey in all together that is yeah. amazing kudos to you and your team so to continue this conversation only through your affiliation with the plies plastic titan campaign you also managed yeah. to revive an urban polluted stream how did that go about so in the titaners there were three phases and in the third phase we were supposed to commit ourselves to a stream so we thought as an easy option we were seeing plastic everywhere but as an easy option to monitor something we picked a nala which is basically a gutter it translates to uh, which was flowing through our university and we had a running joke in the whole department because we used to take a sample from it for our laboratory practicals they can't be crocodiles in it and one day a girl claimed that oh there's a crocodile i'm definitely sure it's a crocodile and we had a joke that it's not possible to have a crocodile this is not our natural system right and then we all saw during the flooding that there were several crocodiles and turtles and then that instilled something and we started mapping out only to realize it's a natural system which now looks like water and it directly pours into the main river that runs through the heart of vadodara which is called vishwamitri and this particular stream is called bhuki okay and the impact i had in first phase because of plastic tide turners people already know the kind of work i was doing so they were really you know interested in coming out and like creating new campaigns with me so that bore fruit here and i got 10 of my juniors who i was guiding for their dissertation also 
and we came up with a plan which not only had like scientific data but a lot of engineering aspect to it a lot of architecture involved in it urban planning and sociology and health perspectives of people living across bhuki because there are thousands of people who are directly living on the banks of bhuki be it in formal societies or in informal huts so it was very important to engage them because at the end of the day we might just clean it we might go back to our universities get our marks and be done with the degree but they are still going to be throwing it so finding that out and in the later stages you won't believe we saw so many people fighting you know with the local residents that you cannot throw anything in this these students are working hard and we were there for a sample we were not for awareness survey and to see the positive thing of the person actually forcing someone not to throw in it because it's important it's natural it will cause flooding and that was beautiful to see and that motivated to do even more work even more monitoring even during covid so yeah sensitization towards urban ecosystems is also very very important because they are really small and they're they're everywhere you just have to identify them they're literally disguised in the city and concrete that is so inspirational man you i your team created a whole revolution <laughs> that is amazing um so you've campaigned a lot about single use plastics and the damage they bring but you meant as you mentioned earlier sometimes plastic is the only solution like disabled people or people with severe health conditions cannot use any other alternatives other than plastic straws due to health and accessibility concerns even the medical and healthcare centers use a lot of uh, single use plastic as disposable materials uh, sustainable alternatives of which are very difficult to find so how should we ta tackle that problem yeah when it comes to the health aspect of plastic it's really important to have them there because it's cheaper it's durable and it's disposable when it comes to those people who are we can easily pick up a glass and drink the water we don't need a straw but there are people who are you know paralyzed or are not able to pick it up they need these straws they there are catheters that are needed in hospitals there are syringes that are needed masks for that matter during covid because we were campaigning on plastics and suddenly because of covid everyone had a plastic on their face 24/7 and that was a problem because people were discarding it left and right but then the problem becomes not the plastic but it's disposal because these are biohazard wastes and to actually dispose them properly it takes a lot of steps lot of incineration lot of management so that has to be a separate logic altogether to understand that plastic in the health and the other industries is very different to the plastic in our day to day life a chips packet is a single use plastic but you buying from a local grocery shop which is creating its own chips right they generally give you in all these like jute packets and all these things or you will like take a dabba to them and you they give you like farsan shops in gujarat have that system so that is a very different thing in health industry it is very important to have that kind of disposability to avoid infection but in a day to day basis there are better and cheaper alternatives to plastic so you can and they are actually more feasible than plastic plastic might crumple or something jute bags you can keep anywhere you want so i think that accountability in people should be question and the consumerism for what they using the plastic for and how they are disposing it because until we have a proper segregation system for waste and also proper segregated waste collection system because many people are segregating waste like in our hostel we are segregating waste in our campus we are segregating waste but 
is the vehicle that is coming to collect it, taking it segregatedly or mixing the both the dabbas in the same unit. So segregation of plastic from organic waste, from other biohazard waste is really, really important when it comes to managing the problem. Ma'am, that is like very inspirational. And you also talked about a very important facet which is accountability in people. Like there are many people in the world today who think that climate change is a myth or simply a fad. Why do you think people are so dismissive of our current realities? Is this just a denial of accountability or is there some deeper reason to it? Uh, when I talk about accountability, I think anyone who speaks about climate change in a very vague manner, like, oh, I used a toothbrush today, which is bamboo made, and I'm solving plastic crisis. That is not the way, right? One single person can actually help out but they have to put it out in a better way. So I think from a lot of privilege, when you sit in a seat of privilege, right, you don't see the problems of a layman. You don't see the problems of a person living right next to the pond, which, is, which had fish, he was dependent on it, and now it doesn't have. You just say, oh, the pond is okay only. We are getting aesthetics for our you know, building. It's okay, we cl we'll clean 10,000 rupees, we'll get it clean, it'll look nice, okay? So that comes from accountability. They don't want to accept the fact that, you know, it is a problem because they've not come to that bridge yet. COVID was the only example which literally shunned the whole world. Everyone got affected by it. So everyone's talked about it. Climate change is affecting people who are not actually causing them. So then the person causing it doesn't see the problem. You were drinking a bottle of fruity with a straw and throwing it on the street and passing away. It's not your problem. You're going to your home. But the person living on the street has to see it every day. The rag picker has to pick it up, segregate it, sell it again. So it's a problem for the people who are seeing it. And making people see the problems of climate change is crucial. I think with social media boom and, you know, photos going viral for forest fires, for droughts, people have started to realize how deep the problem is. But then still, many want to take action, but don't know how to. Many don't want to take action because it's not their problem yet. A polar bear dying in Arctic is not a problem of someone living in Delhi because I don't have ice caps in my city. A coastal fish problem is not a problem of someone living in a landlocked country. But then ultimately, all the systems are connected to each other and denial won't take us anywhere. We have to accept the fact that even if one ecosystem or if one problem becomes worse, it's going to affect the whole world like it did with COVID. That is so true. And uh, I think one way in which people can start accepting this fact is by, you know, people like you spreading more information about it. And uh, one way of uh, doing this is social media. So a lot of ecologists or social media influencers who are campaigning for climate change and sustainability are of the opinion that uh, uh, that individ individualistic change or shift to sustainable products won't have much of an impact on our situation until and unless the big corporations polluting the resources on a large scale are checked. So how much of a role do you think these big corporations can play in the movement and do our individual contributions add up significantly in the long run? Right. I think when it comes to social media, information, entertainment, it has a lot of power. You know, just see for the advertisements that are there on TV. What are they actually promoting? 
the product itself or the idea behind the product itself i lived in assam and i never saw a packet of maggi i never saw a packet of lays okay which was so prevalent in gujarat where i was staying also but now when we went a few years ago it was all available was it necessary did people want it or was it promoted in a way that people wanted to have it you know so the corporations always come up come up with really cool advertisements okay and i think that really impacts the individuals contribution or the individuals will to want it it's called materialism and uh, then at the end of the day i always say that it's consumerism that can drive any sort of pollution okay but then corporations also need to be held accountable it it could not work just by asking a corporation to make a switch like levis was accused a lot of you know cloth waste and a lot of dye waste so they had a csr component which is the corporate social responsibility now some of their products are having marine debris in it dell hp all these people like started incorporating waste plastic into their systems and it's been working properly so there are some organizations which have taken steps but on the other hand when larger corporations take a lot of steps it's a very small change it's very important to make all the small organizations also come up in sync with them because one huge industry polluting is a different thing but 100 small ones polluting is a different thing and again at the end of the day i'm going into economics <laughs> again into the end, uh, in the end of the day it's consumerism that actually drives the pollution and in the long run it's really important to understand our choices if we need it or if we want it you know till we want something it's not actually required but if we need something and it's actually legible it doesn't have alternative then it makes sense but if there are alternatives available if you think you know you can purchase them you can buy them you can promote them for that matter then i'd suggest always go for them i think i have fallen in love with the way you talk and the way and knowledge and your extensive expanse of like wisdom on everything that we have asked you and as a student of economics i like really get excited when talk about consumerism because we have been studying that demand and supply aspect of all the goods and services in the supply chain and i'm i'm i really i'm really loving this conversation so i'm really excited to know how far and wide does your work in activism take you like what are some of the major field activities you hosted like outside your campus ah uh, i've not hosted something out of campus but i'm a avid fan of going for you know programs that are hosting diversity i love wildlife but i cannot for the life of me do molecular work or do you know phylogeny work lab work with respect to dna i am fascinated by it but i can't do it i'm and when you talk about water sample soil sample climate i am your person but uh, and then that happens then scientists get siloed into categories you become a water scientist you become soil scientist but you're never seen as a conservationist you're never seen as an activist or even if you are i'll get like in a few years i think i'll be labeled as a waste management you know waste management conservationist which i'm not i am an environment scientist i'm a climate scientist it's very different so the campaigns i do the work i do the subjects that i study are all different i like try to keep up with everything so outside of my like studies and all these things i'd like to go for bird surveys i did not have the use for it but i went and learned how to capture a bird how to put a ring for the senses and how to understand migration patterns recently i visited wayanad where there was a raptor survey for vultures going which are so rare in the wild now 
So attending all these sorts of programs and I was amazed to know that there were computer engineers attending that program just because they wanted to see a vulture in the wild. So all the things, all the activism will all lead you to, you know, just increasing your passion more and more to work towards environmental sciences and environmental issues. So it's very important to have field activities. Just reading about it, you won't actually work. You have to be there. And any day, if you even go to a forest, even for one day, it will teach you so much. Listening to a woodpecker knock in the Western Ghats from the top of a peak is a very different experience than listening to a woodpecker, you know, on YouTube or reading about what the woodpecker does. So it's really important to have field activities, field exposure, and then bring the ideas from there into your own work, into your projects, and into communication. That is fascinating to know. Um, and you know, many economists and activists are of the opinion that adopting traditional and folk practices regarding nature is the key to heal it. As in the olden times, uh, the human society had a healthy and symbiotic relationship with their environment. And, uh, you know, there was absence of mass urbanization. So what is your take on that? Hmm. Uh, I think indigenous knowledge is the best way to protect our natural history, but it's natural history. And going ahead into the future with climate change, I just speak from a climate change perspective because the solutions that worked 10 years ago will not work in the climate for today. Planting trees to get water has a very different science involved behind it. It's not the way. If there is water, the trees will grow. It's not the case that you planting trees will bring water to it. It's different. You know, even the afforestation programs that happen, they need to be managed properly. In urban spaces also, there was a loss. There was a, as you said, there was an absence of mass urbanization. The, but then what about food security? If everything becomes urbanized, where will our farmers go? How will they cultivate it? They will have to make a shift from farming to some industry activity or some other li livelihood purposes, right? And indigenous, indigenous knowledge or the folk knowledge, as you say it, is really important. But I've seen it getting exploited a lot by a few organizations. Taking away the credit from a tribal person who's explaining you something is something that should not be done is, and is not ethical at all in a society. It's not healthy. Uh, taking away their knowledge and using it as your own finding, as you say it, is, is very, very wrong. They need to be given the credits because they are the ones in the front line facing climate change. So taking their ideas, taking their perceptions is crucial when planning something, when trying to come up with some solution for them because it's them who have to face it. So it's important to have a balance between their ideas and the new ways that we can cope up with climate change. Older techniques won't work, but older knowledge, indigenous knowledge will definitely come in handy when planning something because it helps you understand how the landscape or how a particular ecosystem was before, how it has changed and how much you can bring it back because you can't reverse the clock anymore. It's, it's beyond reversible now. So at least you can try to stop the wheel from churning these people who are living there. I really like your point of view. You, you present a very diverse point of view, which isn't often seen in media as we see it now. So have you ever in all your experience, like experienced sexism or discrimination based on gender impeding your work? Or if not, have you seen other examples of this? Or would you like to give your take on it? 
oh when we talk about gender uh, i recently did a documentary on patriarchy uh, and how it's there in you know organizations it's always going to be there i've heard examples where a senior scientist who was a woman of 35 years old had to take a man who is 30 years old but looks older for her meetings to make her points heard i have seen a few of my friends go into forests for survey and it goes good only because they are determined to get you know information but at the end of the day there's always this you know disconnect between the people who are taking you through these forests helping you navigate saying that oh i don't like to take women in the forest they fall a lot they are even worse than children and all these things although i know women who are more durable than men actually because durability should not be a gender term per se you know coloring something coloring a characteristic with a particular gender color is a very wrong thing uh, for myself i have faced it sometimes but not to an extent that it would affect my work i have always made sure that the teams i have are inclusive of all the people i have made sure if i'm talking to someone i particularly ask them what their pronouns are what they'd like to be addressed as so yeah sometimes it happens sometimes it will happen without you knowing and then after a few months you realize oh this is what he said up and uh, then you like start to realize how bad it is in an organization where i am it's very low because people have come out of it people are trying to bring others also out of it if something happens immediately it's pointed out but in uh, earlier organizations that i've seen and i work with there was a lot of you know quota based for men and uh, i've seen advertisements for environmental jobs in industries which say only men may apply because they think the women have studied the same subject in my university 40 students in the class out of which 28 were women rest for men okay but still advertisements only come for men where will these 28 people go uh, and then there are no jobs for them and the ones that are existing are so low paying that it won't even suffice for the paid for the subject so it's important to start seeing everyday problems with a gender lens also be it waste management because women are accused if i talk about waste management or about you know pads being uh, disposable and having plastic in them then that is a problem that you are a woman how can you talk about it but then i'm also suggesting you that there are alternatives which are more durable you can't accuse me of using plastic because i'm using an alternative of alternative of it you know which is a menstrual cup so then you have to it's it's society where you have to prove that you are a woman and you're strong enough while i've not seen that happen with a lot of men that they have to prove their strength so yeah these issues are always going to be around us we have to come up with ways to work around them and to bring people who have gone to the darker side back here to make our points heard make our points understood and be in harmony with them basically that was enlightening i generally relate to so many points that you mentioned it was Uh, that was great um so you studied uh, solid waste management and the impact of urban water bodies which are often susceptible to pollution on the microclimate so would you please explain these technical terms in an easy language for us and the listeners oh, easy terms okay uh there are things called as weather and things called as climate weather is a everyday thing weather is weather is it being sunny 
there being clear sky, it being rainy, but climate is something that happens over the decades. It has to be actually one decade of a thing to consider something as a climate. Gujarat has semi-arid climate because it's historically that. But some days my city is hot, some days my city is rainy, that is the weather. Microclimate on the other hand can be whatever system you're studying. For example, if there is a log and I want to study a snail, I need not study the whole forest to understand its habitat. That log itself is its ecosystem. It's a microclimate for it. Whatever happens around that log is the microclimate, is its home, is its interaction. So I think that would like help you understand that term. When it comes to solid-based management, I think people confuse it with the fact that plastic and organic, it's not the case. There are five different categories. There are different types of waste, glass, the degradable ones, non-degradable, hazardous, and then comes medical plastics. So there are different categories to it. When we talk about urban water bodies, what comes to your mind when you think of a water body? But what comes to your mind when you think of an urban water body? It's generally a lake. You know, you never think of a river. When you talk about water body, ocean and rivers come to your mind. But when you talk about urban water body, lakes come to your mind. But it's not the case. All of these are connected. An urban water body can just be a small stream which is flowing for like two kilometers. So anything that is in a basically anthropogenized surface and has water in it holding all throughout the year is an urban water body. And they are susceptible to pollution because of excessive encroachment of the banks, exposed to cutting a forest, exposed to cutting the buffers, and then using it for sewage disposal. Uh, then you know, if a locality doesn't have a disposal system, they will definitely use a water body because it's easy and accessible. So yeah, I hope I was able to dump it down a little. I'll be termed though. So yeah. you, have, you have been described as supporting the Sustainable Development Goals 12, Responsible Consumption and Production, and 13, Combating Climate Change and its Impact. Has your work revolved around these goals particularly, or do you wish to expand to encompass more topics? Ah, so I think the first time I read about SDGs was when I was in 10th standard. It started then. Uh, and I always wanted to know what these SDGs are. Uh, when even studying sustainability, I came across these goals. I have always known what the goals are, what the particular subtopics for them are. In the future work that I'll be doing, I'll be focusing more on 12, 13 actually, 13 more so than 12, because it encompasses droughts, floods, how they are interlinked, how they are causing effects to livelihoods. And India is one of the world's most drought-prone country but we are also seeing a lot of floods and water crisis at the same time. So moving ahead, I will be looking at how climate is impacting it, how we are impacting the climate and how we can like get a holistic approach to move ahead and bring in more solution and mitigation rather than adaptation. Because when you talk about sustainability, it runs on three pillars, which is environment, people and economics. So you have to come up with mitigation rather than adaptation. Adaptation is costlier than mitigation. So that is one way to go about it through an economic lens. Adaptation is after the harm is done. So again, the people will be affected. So it's better to start mitigating, start understanding the vulnerability and having a particular plan of action before the actual natural disasters hits, hit us because they are going to be only worse in the coming years. Uh, I was in Gujarat uh, two weeks ago. There was a storm warning. Yesterday, there was a heat wave warning. 
so it's only engaging my interest in the topic more it's a statistic fact but it's only engaging my facts more that how it's happening on such a fast level how the ocean currents are actually regulating the climate in india so let's see i'd like to really encompass as many goals as possible i'd like to also encompass gender roles in it because when you talk about climate change addressing genders addressing sociology is crucial because the structure of the community can actually help you understand how much vulnerable they are and how much adaptable they can be in the future that is so great to know that you are going to be i mean expanding even more um and your message is being conveyed through every possible medium you know com uh, conducting campaigns and movements collaborating with organizations and a significant contributor to change in this day and age social media uh, you have a personal blog where you speak openly about the causes you stand for so could you elaborate a bit on what the blog is all about and what it means to you oh so my open public account is actually the blog i started a blog called our common future but uh, i've not had the time to you know update it but any time there's an issue i'd really like to voice my opinions i'm not someone who like sit down wait for things to happen by themselves wait for solutions to come up i've always tried to reach out to as many people who wanted help who wanted guidance uh, through social media and i think i have to do more i have to engage a more a more interesting group of people because so far i've only been able to reach out to people who are interested in environmental issues but i have not yet tapped into the feature of people who would like to learn about the issues who would like to know more about the issues so i tried i'll try to focus my blog more on bringing in people who don't know or consider climate change a myth as you said and explaining it to them in a simple term that how it's impacting them how they can be the solution and not pollution and yeah these kind of things it needs more work but let's see where it goes that's best wishes to you for that and you have been doing a lot of work but unwinding is as crucial a part of work as the actual work itself so what is that help what is this thing which helps you collect your thoughts relax and calm yourself in stressful situations ah uh, stressful situations uh, a definition of my everyday life i think uh, i get i get like a random call from my juniors who are still working on the stream like something has happened i'm like oh no again and then have to come up with a solution so stress is a part of everyday life now i'm trying to deal with it as much as i can i have a little bit of anxiety so i have to control that also but to calm myself uh once in 3 to 4 months i try to go to some natural landscape like recently i went to kerala because i've not visited it i had the opportunity so i took it uh other than that if i'm in a city and it's getting worse on one particular sunday i'll just go to a park have a picnic with my you know close friends or else if nothing i'm a huge harry potter fan i i love sitcoms i i love marvel uh you you name a sitcom that i've not seen you name a series a movie that i've not seen i really like to find out the time to you know engage more in the arts and historical drama and comedy for that matter because when you see at science it's about facts but when you see at all these things it's about fiction and creativity and drama and that actually helps you engage into your creativity more like a few years ago nobody had imagined a particular vehicle 
which was then a fiction in a movie but now they're making it because it was someone's dream someone's idea so all these mediums like connect to each other and i love making videos and stories and connecting music so it's always engaging the director part in my head so it's really fun to do that and yeah that is the thing i'll do to unwind on a sunday or a saturday i was about to say it sounds so calming but you are so diverse with even your hobbies it's uh, it's actually idealistic i would love to do all of this all at once um so it all at once and you can't just have one hobby because then again it also becomes monotonous so you need to have a diverse set like this sunday i'm going to watch something next sunday i won't watch phone at all i'm going to paint next sunday to that i might watch again and also go out so you have to keep it diverse otherwise it does it doesn't become a you know unwinding activity it becomes like a responsibility or oh, have to watch it on sunday otherwise my brain won't function it becomes one other sort of ocd which i have tackled so i know <laughs> so that is <laughs> that is absolutely that is again i as i mentioned it's idealistic i wish i could do that i'll try to incorporate that in my life as well um so what message would you like to give to all the people who would you know listen to this podcast and what role can we young people play in the movement to heal our environment ah young people uh so there's a question that we ask in ces webinars uh how old will you be in 2050 and people actually think about it and many are really old so they answer i might not be here still and most of the people answering that i not i might not be here are people in positions of power so when they are making a decision it might not even affect by the time the decision takes you know a phase takes a solution they might not even be here so it's important that young people start fighting for their own right fighting for their own life for that matter because at the end of the day it's them who's going to face the even brutal brunts of climate change and then again empathy towards nature towards each other towards different sets of people is really crucial to become a good activist or to even become a good human for that matter so yeah try to be more empathetic more observant of things that are happening around you be it just a bird feeding a small baby be it just a butterfly or a caterpillar be it someone spitting on the road be observant of how people and their behaviors are changing and how people are trying to change or trying to even get worse just try to be more observant more empathetic and more fearless i would say if you can be thank you ma'am that brings us to the end of the podcast and it has been an absolute pleasure to host you today uh, this session has made us realize how much society can benefit if we have more climate conscious people like you in our midst uh, it is imperative that we realize the damage that we are inflicting on our environment and we surely take away from this session uh, all the knowledge that you have you know given us and uh, the pleasure of knowing you we believe it is one of the most memorable moments of our war and violence ridden history that we have to protect something instead of fighting it to ensure a continued survival we once again thank you for lending us your time girl up shisha which is you are very best in the work you are doing and also extend to you a continued support and admiration for all your endeavors thank you i can listen to you talk all day we are just waiting for ted talk to drop we wish you all the best 
You were listening to the CC's Board, an initiative of Girl Up Shisha. Thank you for lending us your time. Find new episodes every 15 days. We'll see you next. This was our time. Thank you.